Um, I am really thrilled. Um, not, not thrilled. Oh, I say that every week, right? You're going to start thinking I'm not thrilled about anything. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled all the time, but I'm particularly excited about this morning. We have the opportunity. Our brother Rob Hamia over there is going to be preaching the word. Um, this is his first sermon ever, which um, I, I don't know if you've ever given a sermon here. That That's not very easy, um, but he's putting some good work. But it's it's a part of um it's a reminder for us of the mission that we have here. Our mission is transforming our communities to become attending, connecting, and serving followers of Jesus. We basically want to raise up leaders who are going to be impacting their communities. And Rob is born and bred in this neighborhood. He he's local handed from here, and it's it's been my joy to walk with him as he's been growing in Christ, uh, as he's he's one of our pastoral interns here at the church and being trained. In, in pastoral ministry, so we are privileged to be able to hear his first sermon ever. Twenty years down the line, when you're hearing about Robin, and you're like, "I was there at his first sermon. I, I was there." Uh, so why don't we warmly welcome, encourage him up here as he comes here? All right. Today, the majority of my reading will come from Job 38 and 40, starts at page 379. So you'll know when I get there and start following along with me when I say God speaks. My name is Bob Monier, like Dan said, I, I grew up right up the street. I didn't grow up in the church. Quite the opposite, as a matter of fact, I never stepped foot in the church. My uh, father was currently ill as long as I could remember. And uh, I always hear people remember people saying that he was a good person, he was a good guy, he didn't deserve this. My mother would work 60 hour weeks, keep the lights on, and keep the kids dead. And without a spiritual father to turn to, I believe that I fell victim to my, to my questions, to my lies, to my what about me's. And, um, I fell victim to my own devices. I didn't know why I felt so empty, or who I was, or who Jesus was, or why it mattered. And with, without anybody to turn to, I, um, I turned to drugs and crime. I responded with violence. Getting high would make me forget those questions. You know, why do I deserve this? Or, because even all the things that I was doing or went through, I, I still thought I was a good person. You know, my parents were good people. But uh, as a non-believer or a person that didn't know Jesus, um, I didn't know how to bear my cross. Or more importantly, I didn't think I deserved my cross. And when you when you don't know who to turn to with your questions of, like, why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Or, why does it seem the worst people do the best in life? Or why do children die? Or what did I do to deserve this? I'm not a bad person. Now, as Christians under grace, we know Jesus has taken our death, and the Bible has our answers. But as intelligent beings, we tend to, well, I tend to, treat the good book like a textbook to satisfy my brain's lies. And, but I think its purpose is to satisfy our hearts. And the book of Job does that. It, it really speaks to my heart. It gives me satisfaction not knowing all the answers. The name Job is related to the Hebrew word for enemy, with the phrase, where is my father? The earthly author of the book is unknown, because it's one of the oldest books in the Bible. It was believed to be written in the time of Moses. The earliest mention of the book, other than itself, is in Ezekiel. Job's a beautiful story. The Bible tells us Job is a great man, a wealthy man. A lot like my dad, he was a good guy. In fact, it says, Job is the greatest man in all of the East. Not only does Job have wealth, but he has many servants. We call him employees. Today, he has friends, family, children. It is also important to know that every morning, Job would wake up and offer a burnt offering to the Lord. 
just in case his children sinned. Because Job knew he didn't. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. He was a good God. He died on earth. In verse 8, God is speaking to Satan. And he says, Have you considered my servant Job, a blameless man who turns from the face of evil? And he doesn't do anything wrong. He's a good God. And Satan says, Yeah, of course he is. You've given him everything. Why wouldn't he be a good God? But let me take all that from him. And we'll see how he turns it. Now, think about that for a second. God's having a conversation with Satan. He knows all the things Satan has done and will do, but he still allows him in his presence. So, the next time you guys hear somebody say they can't come to church because of the things they've done or the things they did or, or what they did last night, you just tell them that. But I digress. Satan says to God, let me take these things from Job and he will turn from me. The eternal teacher allows it. So, first Satan calls his oldest brother's house to fall with his brothers and sisters inside, killing all Job's children. Then a fire from heaven destroys his livestock and crops. You know from examples like in 1908, the comet over Russia that destroyed 770 miles of square forest. You know, insurance companies today would call that an act of God, but the truth is these things happen. And if that's not bad enough, Satan curses Job's health with terrible illness. The text tells us he had loathsome sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. In 2.8 it says Job took a piece of pottery to scrape himself with as he sat in a pile of ashes, the ashes of his children, the pottery they had just ate from him. Just like that, everything's gone. And then Job says, shall we not, oh, I'm sorry, but Job never did anything wrong. So Job says to his wife, Job's wife says to Job, why do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And that's, that's crazy, right? But it's kind of human. She's lost everything. Her husband is deathly ill. Her children are dead. She's devastated. And so it goes on. He says, if we receive good, shall we not receive evil? Still being a good guy. He's suffering. He's mourning the loss of his children. He's awaiting for what could be his own death. So his three friends come sit with him. There's a Jewish tradition called City Sitzville where your friends come and they sit with the loved one in the morning. And if they want to sit quietly, they do. Or if they want to talk, they do. And 2.11 tells us they, they sat quietly for seven days because Job suffered in his grief. So, sure they built up plenty to say in this morning. Job is the first to speak as tradition dictates. He starts with, Let the day perish in which I was born. He's cursing his birth. I've been a good guy. No more take the good with the bad. Then he goes on with a deep, dark, poetic style that would make any doctor with a heartless broken word crowd. And then his next friend speaks, and he basically says the innocent prosper. Surely you're not as good as you think you are. Repent, do better. He has today what we call the work-based philosophy. But Job's works are good. Keep in mind, they're still under Old Testament law. So he gives his ideas of why, and then Job continues in holding from the friend's bad interpretation of the situation. Job replies, my complaint is just. He feels I've been a good person. Why me? He continues in 7 saying, my life has no hope. Now, Job's other homeboy speaks, and he tells Job to repent. He even says, if your children have sinned against God, then they have been delivered into the hands of their transgressors. Now, keep in mind, every morning, Job had an offering just in case. Now, if I'm Job, and I'm mourning the loss of my children, and you're basically telling me they got what they deserve, there's a fighting word. We might, be, we might be fighting at that point. But again, we see Job's friend giving bad advice. We see, he sees God as a, a mean kid burning ass with his name on his own grass. 
and not a loving father. Job continues in his utterance to his complaint. He's a good guy. He doesn't deserve this. He speaks in bitterness of his soul. He says to God, do not condemn me. Let me know why. He says to God, have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? He's shaking his fist at God, questioning his faith. And anybody who's lost a loved one knows his feeling. I did it when my dad died. I did it when my good habit didn't magically disappear. And now, like Job, we've all gotten bad advice from friends that mean well. They mean nothing by it but to help. And in his third friend speaks, he says, you deserve worse. Basically, he's like, Job, if you were such a good guy, you wouldn't be talking to God like this. And none of this would have ever happened. In fact, he says, know then that God exacts less of you than you deserve. And again, Joe's friends mean well. We've all gotten advice like this. But they go back and forth, debate the point, the counterpoint of why things happen, their understanding of the universe and what's happening. And then, God speaks. It's from a whirlwind. It speaks from a whirlwind, he says. Who is this? He darkens my counsel by words without knowledge. Dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you will make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Who stretched the line upon it? From what were its bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who shut the seas with doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made clouds its garments, and thick garments its swaddling band. When I prescribed limits for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far you shall come, and no farther. And here shall your proud ways be stayed. Have you commanded the morning since the stars began, since the saints began? And caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It's changed like clay under the seal. Its features stand out like a garment. From the wicked the light is withheld, and their uplifted arm is broken. Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you, or have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of earth? Declare if you know all this. Where is the way to the dwelling of light, and where is the place of darkness? That you may take to its territory, that you may discern the path to its own. You know, for you were born, and the number of your days is great. Have you entered the storehouses of snow, or have you seen the storehouses of hail? which I have reserved for times of trouble in the days of battle and war? What is the way to the place where the light is distributed, or where the east wind is scattered upon the earth? Who has cleft the channel for the torrents of rain, and a way for the thunderbolt to bring rain on the land where no man is, in the desert where there is no man, to satisfy the waste and desolate land, and to make the ground sprout with grass? Has the rain father? Who has begotten the drops of dew? From whose womb did the ice come forth, and whom gave birth to the frost of heaven? The waters become hard like stone. The face of the deep is frozen. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades, or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Mazaroth in their season, or guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinance of heaven? Can you establish their rule on earth? Can you lift your voice to the clouds with a flood of waters may cover you? Can you send forth the lightning, and go and say, Here we are? You have put wisdom in your hearts, or get an understanding to the mind. Who can number the clouds by wisdom? Or tilt the water skins of the heavens, when the dust runs into a mass, and the clods stick fast together. Can you hunt the prey for the lion, or satisfy the appetites of the young lions, when they crouch in their dens, or lie in wait in their thickets? Who provides the raven's prey, when its young ones cry to God for help, and wander about and lack for food? 
you know when the mountain goat gives birth? Do you observe the calving of those? Can you number the months that they'll fulfill? And do you know the times they'll give birth? When they crouch and bring forth their offspring and deliver their young. The young ones become strong and they grow up in the open. They go out and they do not return to them. Who has let the wild donkey go free? Who has loosened the bonds of the swift donkey to whom I have given the arid plain for his home and the salt land for his dwelling place? He scorns the torment of the city. He hears not the shouts of the driver. He ranges the mountains as his pasture and searches for every green thing. Is the wild ox willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your manger? Can you bind him in the pharaoh with ropes, or will he harrow the valleys after you? Will you depend on him because his strength is great and leave him to do your labor? Do you have faith that he will return the grain and gather it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich wave proudly, but are they the plumage of love? For she leaves her eggs on the earth and lets them be warmed by the ground, forgetting that a foot may crush them and wild beasts may trample them. She deals cruelly with her young, as if they were not hers, though her labor be in vain. She has no fear, because God has made her forget wisdom and has given her no share in understanding. When, he, when she rouses herself to flee, she laughs at horse and rider. Do you give the horse its might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like a locust? His majestic snore is terrifying. He pulls in the valley and exalts his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattle the quiver and flashing spear and javelin. His fierceness and rage, he swallows the ground. He cannot stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, Aha! He smells the battle from afar. The thunder of the captains and shouting. Is it by your understanding that the salt soar or spreads its wings to the south? Is it by your command that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? His rocks he dwells and makes the home the rocky crag his strongholds. From there he spies out his prey. His eyes behold it from far away. His young ones suck up the blood, and where the slain are, there he is. Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who urges with God, let him answer. That makes you feel any better? That's tough love, right? I mean, that's, that's God giving tough love. But the only way that God himself could save Job was to me when I was lying alone in the recovery room. Blood and tears surrender and let my will be done. That's the real story get in right there. Who are we but God's creation? Thank God he does it. And Job answered the Lord, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I laid my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once and I will not answer. Twice that I will proceed no farther. Job has surrendered to the suffering allowed by God. Stops just thinking of himself or of him being a good guy or as God's righteous son and he doesn't deserve this. Now Job's story has a happy ending. After the suffering of God's favorite man, the upright righteous man, Job is given a new life. The Lord restores his riches twice as much as he had before, just like Jesus has done for us. Most importantly, Job has a new understanding of God, of God's love. So, Am I saying that suffering is the way to make us surrender to God's will? Yeah, kind of I am. But the good news is it's not ours. It was the suffering of God's Son, Jesus Christ. He suffered with me when my dad died the way he did. He suffered with me for years of drug abuse and thinking that I had no one to understand my suffering because I didn't know that Jesus had already suffered for me. I almost had to bleed to death 
before I searched for the understanding, before I knew that God loved me. But like Job, while laying there in the ashes of my former life, I realized that I was never alone, that God suffered with me. I learned that he not only watched his son suffer and die slowly, but he took on a flesh body of what the ones he loved, beat him too, up in the cross, and they slowly and painfully drained the human life from his body. As he suffered for yours, mine, and Job's pain and sin, he, God in flesh, asked why. Why has thou forsaken me? I mean, that, that's understandable. What more can you ask for from God? Job asked, have you seen through eyes of man? Well, yeah, yeah. Because hanging up there, the Lord said, it is finished. God's will is done. And his will is to love us. My suffering, my death. Your suffering, your death. Job's suffering, Job's death. Defeated. Our second life in Christ. Be done. And Job's story, like everything else in the Bible, points us directly to Christ. To Christ and his and inward to Christ in us. It speaks to our hearts. So, bow your head with me. Thank you, God, for the eternal teachings of Job's story. Thank you for sending your son to tear the curtain so that we, the beings of your image, can come to you free of sin and forgiven. Thank you that in a sin and death-riddled world, we have the perfect, unblemished spirit of Jesus to wrap ourselves in. And thank you that when our brains have tough questions, you've given our heart-loving answers. Thank you for every sunset and every sunrise in this life and eternity in the next. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.